Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about From London with Love by Beck McMaster. This was published in 2020 and is the fifth and a half book I call the epilogue of the London steampunk The Blue Blood Conspiracy series. Yes, we just finished the series and it was a great conclusion, but I remember at the end, Lane, you were like, oh, I really wish there was just a little extra, a little something. And it seemed like she was done. She was like, thanks for going on this ride with me. We're done with this world. Uh, But then about a year later, she did publish this happily ever after epilogue. um, And we're very happy about it. It was so nice to dive back into the world of London steampunk with this one. Um, I just picked up on the fact that all of these books have been named after James Bond movies. (laughs) They were. They were indeed. I own more than half of the James Bond movies on DVD. I love James Bond. (laughs) And you didn't get it. No. Until right now. Well, until when I texted you like three days ago when I still had a phone. Yes, it's true. She was like, what? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, no, I didn't get it. (laughs) So, so yes, they are all named after James Bond movies. And they, I mean, it fits. It fits really well, actually. You know, they're like London spies, British spies, right? Yeah. It's very on the nose. Okay. Um, so like we said, this is the epilogue to the entire the entire series. It does not stand on its own. No, there's really no plot here. And honestly, even though romance feels secondary, this is just a fun reunion of your favorite characters. Yes, which means if you liked the entire series, you should probably read this one. Yeah, it's it was a nice cherry on top. It really was. So what is this book about? Should we read the book jacket? Yes. With London finally at peace, there's only one threat remaining to the stability of the monarchy. The queen is without an heir. Queen Alexandra is done with marriage, but as always, the Duke of Malloran has a plan. With Malloran insisting upon an heir for the realm, Alexandra reluctantly agrees to accept a husband. But who? With Europe's most eligible bachelors in London to attend her exhibition, she finds herself pining for the only man who has never betrayed her, the only man she wants, and the one man she cannot have. A queen's duty is never done. Alexandra's feelings for her dearest friend, Sir Gideon, have always been warm, but a stolen kiss pushed a friendship into dangerous waters. How can she explain that she has never known desire before? How can she stand to be in the same room as Gideon without betraying her feelings? And how can she marry someone else? But there's an assassin on the loose. And while she may currently be at odds with Sir Gideon, he's the only man who can save both her wounded heart and the future of the realm. Foreign princes and meddling dukes bedamned. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's like super cute. It's good. I like it. It's it, that it is it is is what it is. It is what it is. Yet again, no mention of the fact that there are vampires in this book. Yet again, I don't care. This is the first time it's been appropriate. Yes, yes. That's in very fairness, true. Alexandra and Gideon are both humans. 
the only relevance to the fact that this is steampunk vampires is like she gets attacked by a mech and most of her most loyal spies are vampires and there's some like politicking about if she can marry a human or if that will piss off the vampires but ultimately they are not vampires Mm -hmm. oh my god that's so cute i really liked it i loved that part of it actually it's the first one we've gotten that was just two normal humans. Yes, and it was it's such a good twist on the social class issues, right? Yeah. Well, and even the like you rule of thumb back in the olden times that you'd see all these people incestuously marrying foreign princes because marrying a noble would have been too much drama. Mm-hmm. So that's the parallel. She's sitting here thinking picking Sir Gideon is the equivalent of picking what was her name? Elizabeth Woodville? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's really good. Yes. It's, it, this is what I think Beck McMaster does really well too, is she, I think it feels like she's really thought about the history and what it would mean. And I like that a lot. I, I think she has a lot of fun playing with not just romance tropes, but like the history element of this. Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, you've got a woman named Alexandra. Yes. Trying to get away from Kensington. Yes. Like, yes. It's perfect. It's perfect. And then she's got her exhibition going on, which obviously has a parallel with Queen Victoria's exhibition. Yeah. It's it's just really good. Uh, okay. So as usual, we generated a random number. For novellas, we generate a number between 1 and 25. And then we use that number as a word count to write our own summaries. And for this episode, the number is seven so take it away lane sex therapy with your one true love very nice very nice thank you here's mine international alliance gross go for true love i mean in fairness england's a mess uh-huh like solidifying alliances at home is actually probably the smart choice yeah and the way they explained the way they explain international politics as well. I'm like, mm, England probably doesn't want to keep it like in the island, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was good. She did a really good job with it. She did a really good job with it. No, it was very, very cute. Yeah, absolutely. Tropes. So many. So many. I mean, for a little novella, the big one is duty over feelings. Like that's the conflict is... She must be married to her job, and he is an inappropriate choice. But how do you reckon with that? Yes. Yes. And part of the reason she feels that she has to choose duty over feelings, what does that mean? So there's a class difference. He is like the the son of a seventh son of a nobleman. So he's not like that far removed from the aristocracy, but he is a commoner technically. I think he's a baronet or no, he's a knight. Excuse me. He's not even a baronet. Um and on top of that, he's not even a vampire. That's the bigger one. That's the bigger one. And not only that, he's been vaccinated against the vampire, excuse me, the craving virus. I could not. It was great. I, it was really good, actually. I loved it. I'm really glad she brought back the vaccine in this book. Absolutely. And she explicitly said, which we'd all kind of inferred all along, that the men drinking from their wives were going to have the same lifetimes as their wives. Mm -hmm. I mean, Malloran's like, he's like, 
It, it was actually, I really liked it. It was actually very poignant. He was like, what is immortality if it means I'm going to outlive my children and their grandchildren? He's like, that sounds like the most, he's like, that sounds like the most depressing thing of all time. Yeah. Um, so the romantic situation is that Alexandra and Gideon had an ill-fated, apparently, attempt at matchmaking when they fled London in book five. Mm -hmm. And the end of book five sort of makes it seem like they got together at that. But of course, she had to throw a wrench in the drama for the sake of this plot. So I won't quibble over that. Um, but they basically he left feeling like he forced himself on her and she didn't want him after all and he's ruined their friendship and she left feeling like what is wrong with me you know i couldn't even be comfortable in the arms of the man i'm the most comfortable with so in order to suck it up and marry a foreign prince she realizes she's got to get more comfortable mm -hmm. and she figures the only hope she has of that is with sir gideon so they need a sex bargain she's like i need some exposure therapy i'll start with the guy who i actually am attracted to in the but, hopes that maybe someday I can do it with some other guy. There is no bargain in the sense that all he gets out of it is fucking her. Right. She's the one who has like a motive. He's just like, all right, fine, we'll do this. Yes. This is, I call this dick logic, but obviously it's not dick logic because it's, it's Alexandra, but she's mm -hmm. using, you know, the female version of dick logic. Agreed. She's like, I want to get in his pants. I know, I'll seduce him so that later I can marry someone else. Totally logical. And they're both doing the lying to themselves about how easy it'll be for the two of them to keep things just physical. Oh, it was maybe my favorite part of the book, honestly. I loved it. Oh, they I were really such they were such dum-dums. Oh, totally. Total dum-dums, and it was great. I, I truly, really liked it. When it came down to near-death experience making me realize everything I, you know, could lose in this moment and how I must follow my heart. Oh, yes. Um, oh, and then there are just, there are, there's no matchmaking mama, but there are matchmaking shenanigans with basically every single protagonist that we've read about in the book so far joining forces to try to get Alexa together with Gideon and I loved it. <laughs> I also loved the well we got to make it her think it was her decision. Yes, even though it's everyone else's decision. Yes. But it I mean it is her decision but I I look I really liked I really liked the apology too. It was great. <laughs> it was awesome. It was uh, this this book it had it had its imperfections. But as an epilogue for the series, I thought it worked really well. If I went into this hoping for Alexandra to truly get her due, mm -hmm. I don't think that happened here. Yeah. I really liked her. I really liked how imperious she was and how, like, she couldn't, for all her good qualities, she couldn't ever shake the I'm the queen bitch mm -hmm. attitude. Mm -hmm. And like, I thought she was really well developed, but there wasn't nearly as much as you would expect from Gideon's perspective. And this book delved a lot more into her past trauma in a way that I actually didn't think the series usually relied on. Mm -hmm. That kind of took some of the heat out of what could have been some really poignant scenes. Yeah. And it it's interesting because she she definitely wrote this following the the most recent book, right? The mm -hmm. book number five, Dukes Are Forever. I think there's a little bit of recency bias going on. 
because she focused a lot on Malorin, who was really only the focus of the final book, right? Right. And I liked I liked all of the books in their own way. Uh, so I I feel like she could have I feel like Big McMaster could have gone either full romance with Alexa and Gideon or full a Wallflower Christmas a la Lisa Kleypas, where every single previous couple had its own his moment to shine. Right. And instead she was it was Alexa and Gideon, but also Malloran. And his relationship both with his wife and with the queen and with his cronies. So a lot of Ma- there was a lot of Malloran in this book. Yeah. So and I think that's what Meg's sort of getting at when she says, was it perfect? No. But if what you're reading this for is like the happily ever after of this crew, it's a cute novella. Mm-hmm. It focused more on the Blue Blood conspiracy um, crew than the Lennon Steampunk crew. But I did like that each of those couples even had their moment to shine a little bit, which I thought was very cute. I liked well, it a lot. Because you saw Blade on the council. Yes. And, you know... Adele was constantly talking about Lena, like yes, and they she highlighted Honoria's research. Yep, and of course Jasper and Rosa are both on the council. Right. The the only people who didn't really show up were um, Perry and um, her her man Garrett, but Garrett. you saw them at the very end of the last book, the last and there book. really wasn't a need for Nighthawks here. It's true. This is the one, like, this book got totally away from the action adventure. Mm, uh, not totally. There was there was some action adventure. There were individual assassination attempts, but there was never the whole, like, staged battle. Yes, there was no staged battle. True. Yeah. Like, the, the, I'm not saying there was no violence or no action at all, because this series is that, but there wasn't, like, a mission and daring mm-hmm. moments and fleshed out plans. Yes. I I did like, so we talked already about how both Gideon and Alexa are fully human. Gideon, at least, has been vaccinated against the craving virus. I don't think Alexandra has been. Maybe as a last ditch, like, if there were an assassination attempt, they could turn her, like, last moment to, you know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but um, it's obvious that she doesn't want to be a vampire. And I thought I thought that was an interesting aspect of the book, seeing how fragile they were compared to the rest of the gang. Yes. And I liked, I really liked the emphasis on that, actually. Because in previous books, and we've talked about the hedonic treadmill, right? Like, they have to get, like, more intense and, like, more action and more this and more that. And this book, like you said, had less action but maybe higher stakes because these two were so fragile. Yes. Uh, so I liked that. I thought it was well done. I thought that was a really fun way to end this series because yeah. you're right. It kept escalating, kept escalating. And this one really does take a step back in a lot of ways in a really effective way. Yes, it was really effective. I did love how much Gideon loved her. Like he's the guy, he's like, I can never have you. But he's like, I'm never going to marry anyone. He's just going to be celibate for the rest of his life if he can't have her. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, he's probably been celibate since he met her the first time. 
It was adorable. So great. Even when you're in his head, he's not contemplating anything else. He's like, oh, God, guess I'm going to go have to mope around England. Forever. Forever. Until I I, die. Yep. I watched her get kissed by someone against her will, and I hate everything. (laughs) Everything. It was great. It was amazing. He was like, oh, God, this is... This is going to keep happening, and I'm going to have to keep watching it. Saddle my horse. I'm out of here. <laughs> he, was, he was. He was like, pack my bags. <laughs> Call the carriage. I, I, in fact, can't do this. Goodbye. <laughs> well, she was even like, I need to talk to you. And he's like, she's going to let me down easy because she's accepted this guy's proposal. And he's like, she's my queen, and she has summoned me to her royal presence, and I still can't. Like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> yep. It was it was great. I I truly loved it. It was a really fun moment. Uh, I also liked how old they were. He's they're just mature people. She's like in her early to mid thirties, and he's forty five. Yep. And it just it did feel like a more mature relationship, in a good way. I don't know that I agree with that. Not that it was immature at all, but just that I didn't feel like you got much of their maturity or relationship. She spent so much time being a little bit petulant. Yes, but and he I got so little characterization. I, I think it's interesting. I when I say mature relationship, I'm not because what does that mean? Right. I think I think what I mean by that is that she wasn't like she was petulant, but she wasn't impetuous. Like she thought through everything. That's um, fair. She was she was very clear about what was going on. She wasn't dramatic for the sake of being dramatic. You know, like this wasn't a young relationship. This wasn't a youthful indiscretion. Right. And when they did finally make the decision to kind of f the societal concerns they had, it was with full knowledge of what that could mean, mm-hmm. and not like I get what you're saying on that front. I still think overall they lacked a relationship in some ways. Like this novella is really short. A lot of time was spent on other stuff other than their desperate longing for one another. I don't actually think I saw much about how they approached difficulty together. That's fair. I I think it's interesting to compare with say Kiss of Steel where Blade is like 70 and Honoria is like 24 or 25. Right. Um, And that relationship felt younger in many ways to me. Sure. I mean, I don't disagree with that at all. I think mm-hmm. I'm saying there just wasn't enough here for me to make any sort of judgment. Yeah, I mean, the rate, I feel like here it's a given that they have, that they are in love. Yes. Right. So there's not a lot of time spent on like why they're in love or how they fell in love. It's like they talk about it very briefly. Right. But that's not the focus of the book. No. So. I did feel like at the end it did feel like she was setting up the possibility for a new series. You know how I feel about Nikolai. I I do. That's why I was like, hmm. And when hmm. he got name dropped, I was like, excusez-moi. <laughs> you were so ready. Oh, yeah. My body's ready. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I did see, so I, I did see that she's talked about maybe doing another book in the universe. She has not said who, where, what, how. 
even confirms that it actually is, but she's like, I have a new announcement. Maybe, maybe London steampunk. That's basically it. So. I have almost never been more predisposed to love a hero than I am Nikolai for mm-hmm. several reasons. Like living in the shadows, spy in his own cause, lied to <laughs> about his family, like scion of darkness, but who like, <laughs> How does whole family shift from him and is trying to do right by everyone now? Mm-hmm. I have never been more equipped to love someone. You, I'm do you, here. Do you want to contact her and just be like, please do Nikolai? I just like, I can't even explain to you. I, the Russian court, the fake one and the real one is not like the part of history that appeals to me. Like none of this should be my ish. And I'm like, no, excuse me. I would like more Nikolai. I agree. Okay. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we move on to content warnings? Because there are a few. Yeah, it's short and sweet and you get cameos from everyone and there's some nominal action just so you don't get confused and think you're reading a different series. I think we've covered it. Like, honestly, if you read and enjoyed the first series, you you should splurge for this book. Yeah. Like, for sure. Cute. Cute. But content warnings, there are many, especially given how short this book is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's made extremely clear that every night of Alexandra's marriage to her former consort was a sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And she has the PTSD and laudanum recovery token to prove it. Yes. I, I think it's interesting. So I was thinking back and... I don't think that Beck McMaster ever names the Prince Consort. I don't think he has a name, which I think is a really interesting choice. I think they've just called him like the Prince Consort or the Prince. Huh. Yeah. Like, cause I was thinking about it in this book, cause she was, she talked about him. She talked about my pre, my ex-husband. She talked about the former Prince Consort, but never by name. So I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically she was married to this guy. I mean, we know we read the first series, which focused, I think a lot on her relationship with him as being abusive and she wanted to defy him. But when she did, she was punished. Um, she was addicted to laudanum. Um, she basically was like, I had to take laudanum to get through my nights with him. Uh, but yeah, it's. And and that's present here. Like, but Master doesn't gloss over it. Right. The whole premise of them starting to hook up is, I recoil when a man comes near me. If my job is to get pregnant with an heir, that can't happen. How do I learn not to freak out and feel like the walls are closing in every time a man touches me? Yeah. And she's like, I can't go back to taking drugs to get through life. Like I'm actually ruling the country now. Like I can't, you know, I can't right. do that. So the the hold that the oblivion, the appeal that the oblivion still has for her was like not glossed over. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be interested to know what someone who's previously struggled with addiction would mm-hmm. think of this depiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it felt, it felt authentic to me, but again, I, I'm not a recovering addict, you know, so. But if you were wondering if in that one sentence where we talked about like three trigger warnings, that covered it all. No. It did not. It didn't. 
she had a miscarriage. She had, no, excuse me. She didn't have a miscarriage. She had a, a stillbirth. She had a son who died. And she, they talk about it a lot, actually. So much. Mm-hmm. And I actually, the, overall, obviously the stillbirth being the traumatic version, this epilogue is real baby focused. Mm-hmm. Which, fine, whatever. I recognize it's a staple of the genre. I'm not going to criticize Beck McMaster individually for it. But, yeah, I've said a couple of times in this series that this badass vampire werewolf mech story often gets reduced to, and then they can procreate and live happily ever after. And it was a little thick here for me. It was, I think, partially because the book is focused on her producing an heir, it was a little, it, it didn't feel out of place to me. It wasn't like, oh, Lord, it's a baby epilogue. You know, it felt like, okay, this is an integral part of this this novella. Oh, it didn't feel out of place at all. I was just rolling my eyes. It, like, seriously, you give me a badass vampire series and I'm still reading about the first time you feel a baby kick and how traumatizing your miscarriage was and how traumatizing your stillbirth was because there's also a miscarriage mentioned in this book. Mm-hmm. So... It was a lot, it was funny because Adele and Malloran clearly both had their own demons and had been tortured and had had mm-hmm. shit lives. And I felt like their book didn't, like, relish in their trauma. Mm, not as much, yeah. And this one just bathed in it. She's like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I mean, I I do understand, like, Alexa has been through a lot of shit, you know? And this is the book about her finding a man who will be there for her but yeah i i will i did think it was a little funny because i have to admit i thought gideon was like more of a like he's human and i was assuming that he wasn't like as romance hero e as the other romance heroes but no don't worry guys he boxes or something (laughs) raking her nails over his washboard abs yeah, she was like, oh, look at this stomach there. This isn't like the Prince Consort at all. Who was a vampire and you'd assume was jacked. I mean, who knows? Vampires aren't necessarily jacked, right? Just the ones in this book. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Meg. I mean, I think when you when you get turned, you don't automatically develop muscles. <laughs> I don't know, because this is a wider vampire question. Mm -hmm. You start being capable of really extreme physical feats. It's true. That hypothetically you would need musculature to achieve. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there are other series, Immortals After Dark, (laughs) that literally are like, okay, when you drink more blood, you get more muscles. Like, remember I made you read Conrad's book? Oh, my God. But, like, when women vampires drink blood, their boobs get bigger. Like, it's, well, it's like your secondary sexual characteristics become more pronounced. Let's just but, say that. I mean, there's been a ton of different versions of what turning does to someone. Like, yeah. True Blood, you saw completely normal people turn to, were physically exactly who they were the moment they turned forever. So if they were old and pudgy right. and whatever, they were that way forever. Right. Flip that with Twilight, where you literally see Bella undecaying on a bed so like totally there's there's a ton of different depictions of how it happens but in this book 
clearly vampires are capable of such intense physicality mm-hmm. that I don't think it's all that fan wacky to be like, yeah, they have to have muscles to do that stuff. Yeah, but Gideon has to work for those muscles. Apparently. Apparently. Um, okay. <sighs> Let's talk about sexiness because usually this is one of Beck McMaster's strengths, right? This book had two things going against it. Mm-hmm. One, all the specific sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And two, the fact that that sexual trauma meant Alexandra did not want to be touched. Right. There, there, there were two scenes, two scenes, I think two or three, not more. And in both of them, okay, it's a slightly spoilery. Okay. Sorry. In both of them, she makes Gideon come first. They're really focused on hand jobs. Well, there's hand job and then there's a blow job. She's using a blow job. Yes, but there's so many hand jobs, Meg. Yeah. But and on the one hand, like I think I understand why Beckman Master did this because she's showing that Alexa wants to be in control. She wants to have all the power. And by making him lose control, she feels more comfortable with the sexual situation, right? It's so, like I get that. That's just not super sexy for me personally. No, I mean, any kind of sex scene driven by trauma, you know I'm out. Right. And then actually in this book, they don't, there's no penis and vagina sex. No. Like she, she gives him a hand job, And of course he like comes like that because he's been, this is like his fantasy come to life, obviously. Correct. And then the next time he's like, I can't let you go away unsatisfied. And she's like, no, you can buy. And he's like, no, 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 I really do. And he goes down on her like up against a door, which was very sexy. But that was it. Then that was it. There's no more sex. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, just have her go on top, you know, be like, that would have done it for me. I just needed, like, a sex scene where she wasn't thinking of her ex-husband. Right. Like, it was it was a very cute novella. Like I said, Cherry on Top, totally recommend reading it. But this was not sexy to me. I, I, I have to admit, I was surprised at how how few how little the sex like counted towards the story because and again maybe it's because we just read dukes are forever which was like front loaded with sex you know yep so maybe it's the comparison i don't know but i don't think it is i i Honestly, I think Beck McMaster tried to do a family reunion epilogue with Alexandra, who'd sort of gotten shit on actually getting some FaceTime. Mm-hmm. So her, that was her goal. And like crafting the romance of it was sort of secondary. So mm-hmm. I'm not mad about it. Like, yeah, no, if you I, go in with a certain expectation, you'll I, be fine here. If you think this is going to be a full-fledged novel about Alexandra and Gideon, it's not. But you know that. Yeah, it's true. But like I said, don't like if if you have been enjoying the series the way we have, don't skip this one for sure. Completely agree. 
Well, thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and find us around the internet at Plotris.